Jesus' first sermon, at least the first sermon that was written down, the first sermon that uh, um, Matthew wrote down. He might have had other sermons, but this was kind of the, a, a big piece in understanding the story of Jesus. That Jesus comes and he, he makes this radical statement. He says this, he says, repent for the kingdom of God is in your midst. Or, or if you have the New American Standard, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, it's right here, right now. And, and when we look at this word repent, we think, and we've talked about this in weeks past, we think in terms of feeling bad or feeling, um, you know, we, we see our sin. And, and there's a certain uh, truth to that, that as we kind of see what our lives are and how we don't measure up, that there is a sense of repentance. But more than that, the Greek word for repent is just to change one's mind. Change the way you're thinking. And so what we've been talking about each week is that the verse could actually be written this way. Change the way you've been thinking. A life of intimacy and interaction with God is now in your midst. And so we've been talking about the idea that as we approach different circumstances in our life, as we approach um, different people in our life, as we approach different seasons of our life, what if we allowed the presence of God, what if we allowed the kingship of God to come and rule our lives? I think what Jesus is saying as he talks about the Beatitudes, and that all are blessed who are poor, who find themselves in that spot. That God's presence and God's rule and reign will begin to change us. And so we've been saying it this way, and we'll say it this way every single week, allowing God to be God in everything. And so last, um, we started out with the idea of living without anger. Um, as the kingdom of God rules and reigns in our life, and as Jesus uh, rules and reigns in our life, can we actually live without anger? And then what we talked about is living without lust. And we talked about the idea that when we are involved in fantasy, uh, and that's all lust is. Lust is just uh, coming up with a other situation other than reality, okay? And so um, we talked about this last week. For men, that is usually physical or sexual. For women, it's usually emotional, relational, or whatever it is. But the fact is, we all have fantasies. And may maybe even this week, you thought about winning the lottery, or you thought about the angels winning the championship, or whatever your fantasy is, uh, you, you are, uh, that's where you're at, okay? And so, so you can even think to yourself, like, if I win the lottery, we talked about this last week, if I won the lottery, yeah, I'd first pay off that. And we start spending energy and time thinking about, well, okay, first we do the house because that would just, that'd set that up and then we do that and that. And here, here's what we talked about last week. God isn't interested in your fantasies. <laughs> you don't meet God in fantasy, you meet him in reality. And so that's one of the big reasons why Jesus was saying, just get rid of the fantasy. God's not there. He's in reality. And, and the statement that we've been saying week after week, and we'll continue to say because it's really, really a, a pillar of where this church, um, the teaching of this church, and I believe of God, is this, that God calls us to stewardship, not to kingship. And so where you're at, wherever God has you, in whatever marriage it is, whatever house it is, whatever school it is, whatever circle of influence you have, that, that God calls us to manage that with him at the helm. You are the steward. He is the king. But we want to be king. 
And so as last week we talked about lust, lust is just us controlling everything. I want this and I want that and I want her and I want him and I want my husband to lose this many pounds and I want this and I want that. And then we just kind of live in this fantasy where we're king and everybody does what we want and it makes us happy. And God says, I haven't called you to kingship, I've called you to stewardship. Well, this week, what we're going to talk about, and Jesus moves on in his sermon, we're going to talk about uh, lying, living without lying. Now, if you um, think about that, I mean, a, a lot of us, if I were to say that you, you, you know, do you lie? Or, yeah, you'd probably think of the big things or little things or whatever. You'd say, I take, tell some half-truths or some white lies or I'll say something untrue so that it doesn't hurt somebody's feelings. There's usually a bunch of qualifiers and all this kind of stuff because we were, as human beings, lying is in our nature. Um, when a, a baby... Uh, this is scientific. This isn't just my observation, although it's my observation too. Babies will cry and look around to see if anyone's watching. And then they'll stop. And then when someone walks in the room, sometimes they'll start crying again. This idea of deception, of trying to, look, things are really bad, but basically it's, I just want attention. By one years old, uh, they've learned how to conceal. By two years old, they've learned how to bluff. By five years old, they learn how to uh, lie outright. And by nine years old, they've learned how to cover up those lies. By nine years old, we're all professional liars. Now, it doesn't take until a little bit longer to we really get good at it. And we're able to nuance our lies. And we're able to couch our lies behind smiles. And we're able to just kind of, we're able to manipulate we're able to deceive. That comes with practice. And uh, for those of you who don't have it down just yet, uh, keep up the good work. You'll get there, okay? Uh, it's just a part of human nature that we lie. This is, this, is, this is who we are. And so just like everything else, just like lust, where God has given us this desire, maybe a sexual desire or this other desire, we twist it. And with anger, where God has given us emotion, we uh, capitalize on it and we use it incorrectly. The same way with our words and with our speech, God has given us a brain and all this kind of stuff and interaction and fellowship. And we take those facts and we twist them around and they show up in different ways. One way is just, um, I'm on my way. We'll send that text. Oh, stuck in traffic. Um, yes, I did the report. It, it'll be on your desk in the morning, you know. Uh, yes, I did my homework. I don't know why it's not in my backpack. Uh, you know, all, all these different ways they show up. No, that doesn't uh, make you look fat or... Um, no, that hairstyle is awesome. And that's your real hair? I like, you know, this whatever. However uh, you work out uh, your lies, they, they, they can be small. They can be bigger. Like on a resume where you've fudged kind of what you've done in the past or what a degree might be. It might be uh, lying with your taxes where you have some more um, deductions that you didn't really have or maybe there was some payment, a lot of payment under the table that you're not putting on there. We deceive. Sometimes it's really, really bad where we've had infidelity or we're trying to conceal or hide something very deep. We have this whole gamut, but it's who we are. Now, here's the thing I want us to get this morning, and uh, we'll look at this a lot of different ways. But if you want to write down kind of the big, the big deal, it's this. The outward lies start with inward lies. 
Outward lies start with inward lies. These are lies we tell ourselves, lies that culture tells us, lies that um, the enemy, maybe Satan, tells us, uh, lies that we believe about ourselves or we believe about our situation. Those lies that happen, and we've been calling them throughout the weeks false narratives, the idea that, there's, there's, that we see the world a certain way and uh, as a certain worldly kingdom, and God would break into that and say there's a kingdom of heaven, a real reality, a real truth that can speak to your situation. We start with these inward lies, and I wrote a few of them down. These aren't all of them, but it'll at least get your brain thinking because what we're going to hopefully happen is that by the time we get to the end of this morning, is we're going to look at our lives and say, are there any um, lies that I'm believing that's, that's pushing me to want to lie? And so here are some of the lies uh, that um, I have. One lie is my value is based on my accomplishments. My value is based on my accomplishments. So then you will be tempted to lie about your accomplishments to increase your value. Um, whether it's about what type of uh, uh, athlete you were in high school or uh, what type of businessman you were, or businesswoman, or what, what type of degree you had or how successful you were here or there, or what kind of house you lived in, that the lie of my value is based on my accomplishments. You might lie about how much money you make or what, what have you. My, that's a lie. My value is based on my accomplishments. Secondly, I'm in control of my own destiny. If I don't, it won't. If I don't make this happen, it won't happen. If I don't, if I don't kind of do these things, I'm going to miss out on this relationship. Uh, if, if I don't uh, work the system, then I'm going to fall behind. If I don't, it won't. I'm in control. That's a lie. N another lie. God cannot get me out of this. Or into this, depending on which, which it is you want. Into this corporation, into this uh, relationship, into this uh, situation. God, God can't get, I've got to do this. I've got to get there. Or God can't get me out of this. I've gotten myself into a big mess. And the only way for me to get out is to lie or to cheat or to do something to manipulate the situation. That's a lie. My life won't matter. If I don't change my circumstances, if I don't make this decision, if I get an F and I, if I'm honest about my grades or whatever, my life won't matter. That there's a value placed on us that happens internally or from our family or from culture or from the enemy or whatever. My life won't matter. I or my loved ones will miss out. And so sometimes we'll lie. We'll lie on an application for one of our kids about something. We'll lie about where we live because we want to get into this or to that school. Or we'll lie about whatever because I don't want them to miss out. That's a lie. My needs are more important than anything. That's a lie. I have certain needs and certain things, and if you knew me, you'd understand, and I grew up, and I didn't have this, or I did have this, and so I've got to uh, make this change. That's a lie. My needs are more important than anything. Another deed, I'm alone. It's only me. I'm the one responsible. And for me to not be alone, I've got to lie. And whether you're filling out an online dating profile or whatever, it's just that sense of just like, I'm, I'm going to be alone. Where this showed up in my life was um, when I was in the sixth grade or fifth grade, we moved from New Jersey to California. And um, I went, 
we, we had a bunch of different changes happen in our life all at the same time. We went from being wealthy to being poor. We went from being on the East Coast to being on the West Coast. And I went to a school that was all people who looked exactly like me to very few people that looked anything like me. And so uh, this was what I was thrust into in the fifth grade and sixth grade. And so the coping mechanism I did, because I felt a lot of these lies, I felt like I'm in control of my own destiny. My values based on my accomplishments. My life won't matter. Uh, I was afraid of being alone and that my needs were more important than everything because, or anything. Because of that, I resorted to lying. And I would make up stories about myself. Because here's the thing. I'll just give you a little tip. When you move from one location to another location and nobody at the new location knows you from your old location, you can be whoever you want to be. You can reinvent yourself. And I did. And I reinvented myself based on lies. And so I had to keep that up. And so that kept going through uh, sixth grade and then seventh grade and then eighth grade. And the more I lied, the more I, I was left isolated to my own devices and my own, uh, my own resources. And so the more I felt alone and the more I felt trapped and the more I felt um, like I, I, I couldn't get out, the more I'd lie. And then um, in the ninth, uh, tenth grade, I met this girl who was just, huh? wow, it was she incredible. And, um, but I couldn't stop the line. And so we started dating and I started figuring out, and I was at that time I was learning about Jesus and how Jesus could set me free from those types of things. And, but we had already been dating for like six months and I've already told a, a few lies and all this kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden God came to me and, uh, and, and kind of gave me this ultimatum. And I'll, I'll show you kind of what that looks like if you want to see what my brain looks like. There's fear, and that's what all those internal narratives produce. I'm alone. I'm afraid of being alone. I'm going to miss out. I fear missing out. I've got to do everything myself, and so I fear if I don't, I'm going to fail. Uh, I, 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 I fear this. I fear that I, I won't be valued. I fear that I'm not going to measure up to others. I fear that everyone's going to make fun of me. All, all those narratives are fear. And that's all the culture of this world. And if you look at um, most advertisements, most, I mean, right now, as we speak, uh, not as we speak because it's Sunday, but next week in your mailbox, you are going to get, because it's election season, pamphlet after pamphlet after pamphlet after pamphlet that says, if you don't vote for this, guess what's going to happen? Fear, 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 fear. If this person stays in office, oh, if this person doesn't get into office, oh, it's just fear, 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 fear. Our culture is based on fear. If you look at most of the ads, if you don't have this car, if you don't have this body, if you don't drink this beer, if you don't do this, if you don't do that, oh, you're not going to measure up and all this kind of stuff. And it's deception and lies and companies spend millions and millions of dollars hiring people to write reviews on the internet that are all fake. And I mean, again, have a nice day, but I'm just telling you this happens, okay? This is our culture. And on the other side of fear is faith. This idea that, yes, vote intelligently and buy great products, but that the kingdom of God operates at a totally different level than fear. That may maybe the job you have doesn't really matter for your value. 
Maybe the grades you get at school don't really matter for how God sees you. Maybe your body type or, or how you're created and your gifts and your strengths and all that, maybe that has very little to do with your meaning and purpose in life. And so you've got fear on the one hand that says, you got to measure up, you got to measure up, you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to do that. And you have faith on the other hand with Jesus saying, I've got this and I've got you. Insert situation here. And so we get to this crossroads, and this is, this is really where I think lying happens. You get to a situation, you have a choice. Am I going to choose fear and lie to try and go with my own resources? Or am I going to live in truth and faith? Now, what's weird is that this fear, it's actually harder <laughs> to do the faith part. Faith isn't just the blind like, oh, well, okay, sirrah, sirrah, what are you going to do? Faith takes courage. As we sang this morning, stepping out on the water when the waves are coming, it takes real courage. Being able to say to your boss, I did not do that report that you told me five times to do, takes real courage courage to say I'm late because I overslept and actually the traffic's just fine <laughs> takes real courage to be able to say I didn't do this or I did do that takes real courage and this is where God wants to meet us in this reality the stewardship of our real circumstances it's sitting at a resume going I know who they want and I can't force it, but I'm just going to put the truth and just let God take care of it. It's sitting with your 1040 EZ going, tips, <laughs> man, that was all cash. I really have to pay taxes on my tips? It's all these different situations where you go and you're, you're faced with this. Are you going to fear and lie? Or step out in faith in the truth? And let me tell you something, this is hard. And so the Lord, uh, after I had told many lies and kind of d d done this whole thing, the Lord met me here one day and basically told me this, you have a choice. You can either continue in the path you're going to continue on, which is going to lead to your destruction, or you can step out in faith and tell the truth. And I know exactly where I was when he met me and we had this conversation. And I said, I want the truth. And he said, praise me. <laughs> okay. He said, go back and tell, make it right. Tell him all those stories were lies. And I was like, no, <laughs> let's do it this way. Really sorry for my past. That was washing the blood of the lamb. Okay. I read the Bible. <laughs> You've separated that as far as the east is from the west. Erase, erase, bye-bye. And from here on out, we'll step forward and move on. And he said, yes, it's been washed in the blood of the lamb. I've separated as far as the east is from the west. Go back and tell everybody the stories and tell them they were lies. So I started this arduous process of going back and doing this. And let me tell you this. It was lame. <laughs> it was horrible. As bad as you think it was, it was way worse than that. It was hard. 
And there were times I was in tears. I was talking to sometimes my best friend. I was talking to my girlfriend. It worked, by the way. Anyway, uh, okay. Um, so sometimes it does benefit you to make it right. So, but I, I'd, I'd go through this stuff. And, and, and then I'd, and it's so embarrassing. Because while I'm telling the story, I'm thinking, like, why would you even tell that story? Like, what, what were you doing? What were you thinking? So I went through, I went back, and then it would be even worse because I'd feel like, oh, I'm done. And then six months later, someone would be talking to me and be going, well, you know, you used to, you know, uh, play for Rush, right? Weren't you uh, the lead guitar player for Rush? Or whatever, whatever the lie was. Uh, you were paralyzed from the waist down and healed yourself. What? Didn't know? Okay. And then you'd, I'd be like, oh, man, I forgot about that one. Um, <laughs> I'm an idiot, I'm a liar, uh, I'm a terrible person, uh, you know, all, all this kind of stuff. And that essentially got easier for me, whatever. But here's the thing. You have fear, you have faith. But where there's faith, where there's that difficult, there is freedom. It's hard at first, but where there is truth, there is freedom. It doesn't feel that way at first. It feels like bondage. It feels like you're going... You know, you because know, you usually have to fess up to something, but there is freedom there. So let, I want to look at one little story in the Old Testament, and then we'll look at Jesus' words in the New Testament, and then um, we'll be done. But um, at, at this crossroad of fear and faith, you think to yourself, well, the, the, the people of faith, like if you go into Hebrews, you can find this chapter, I think it's 11, called the Hall of Faith. In the Bible, it wasn't really called that in the letter to the Hebrews. We just added it because it's so awesome. And it talks about people being sawn in two. And you got to read your Bible. It's really awesome. Um, but it's like these great people who did all this stuff. And one of the people that they talked about this in this Hall of Faith was Abraham. He's like the father of of, of a life with God, like Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham. I'm one of them, and so are you. So let's just write, wait, that's what I love. Okay, anyway, I, I was never good at that, always getting kicked out of elementary school. Okay, so, so um, we have this faith. Well, guess what? Abraham, the guy who they said, oh, father of, of, of uh, the people of God, and he's going to have descendants, and they're going to number the stars of the earth, and, and he's kind of at the, as a matter of fact, there's an Abrahamic covenant, which has nothing to do with a hammock. It has to do with Abraham, and it's like this covenant that God makes with Abraham, this dude. I mean, he, if you're close to God, like Abraham was the guy. And this story is about what happened when Abraham, this man of faith, called by God, packs up his whole family and leaves one place to go into this new land that God's going to give him. Abraham finds himself at this crossroads between fear and faith. Let's see how he handles it. He's, uh, this is in Genesis chapter 20 in verse 2. And we're going to, I'm just going to briefly tell the story. We're going to be hitting different verses um, just for a little bit. But he went to this place called uh, Gerar, okay? And basically what, what's happened is, it, the, the Genesis is a story of Abraham kind of showing up at different places and God talking to him in different ways and all these different things as it shows his journey on how to become the people of God. And so he gets to this place at Gerar, and, um, and so his wife w was, was good looking, okay? Um, and so she, what he was afraid of was if he shows up at a place 
and he's got this smoking hot trophy wife. And, and if someone finds out that they're married, they're going to try and kill him to take his wife. Okay? I understand. Okay? So this is where he's at. All right? So it says this. At Gerar, Abraham said of his wife, Sarah, she's my sister. Okay? So uh, here he is. That's his, that's his lie. He got to this place of faith and fear, and he chose fear. And he, he had a plan. He was operating on his own resources. Now, I don't know if this has ever happened to you at work or at school or, or in a relationship or whatever where you've got a plan. I know what I'm going to say. I'll just tell them this. And in your mind, you're thinking, that's ironclad. What could possibly go wrong? No one will ever know. How are they going to figure this out? And so he says, she's my sister. And so you can't kill me. Blah, blah, blah. Here we go. Then Amalek, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. Ah, is this your sister? Give her to me. And all of a sudden, one day, a bunch of people showed up and said, you're going to the king's palace, and off goes Abraham's wife. And Abraham was left there going, huh, I hadn't actually thought about that. Yeah, because if she's my sister, then he has no problem. Hmm. And so Amalek takes his wife away. Now, if you're like me, you're thinking to yourself, oh, oh man, if he touches her, I swear, I'm going to come up there and all this kind of stuff. But what, what happened? His, the fear, his life got him into a predicament. And so fortunately, God was on Abraham's side, even in the midst of this lie. And so what God does is why Abimelech, the king, was asleep. God shows up to Abimelech while he's sleeping. He says, hey, wake up. It's time to get up, sleepy face. And Abimelech rubs his eyes and he's like, huh? And he's like, it's God. And this is what God says to him. You're going to die. <laughs> hey, you don't believe me? Read your Bible. It's in there. Genesis chapter 20, okay? You guys are like, like Genesis chapter 20. Yeah, God comes to him and says, you're going to die. I'm going to kill you. And Abimelech is like, what for? And he's like, you took Abraham's wife. And Abimelech does exactly what you and I would do. And like, what? And he says, he said she was his sister. And she said he was her brother. And then God says this, I know. It'll be cool. You're good. You know, and it's like, did you just do this to frighten me? And so God tells Abraham, it's going to be fine. Just do me a favor and get get her back to her husband. And so Abimelech has this dream or this vision, or maybe God was actually in the room or however it worked out. Okay. Needless to say, like, okay, go back to sleep. <laughs> you know, I don't know what God did, but uh, here's what it says. I love this. The Bible's so raw. Early the next morning, because <laughs> you can imagine he's just lying in bed like this, just waiting for, you know, I don't know, it's a sundial or whatever he had on his, but he's just waiting for whatever alarm they had back then to go off so that he could make this right. Because you're thinking to yourself, God just told you you're going to die unless you get this woman back to her husband. And so early the next morning, and I'll have to ask Pastor Bob which Hebrew word early that is, but I'll bet it's really early because uh, that's what it would be for me. Abimelech summoned all his officials, and when he told them all that had happened, they were much afraid, just like you'd do. 
You get on Facebook, God just told me he was going to kill me. It's, you know, comment, that's lame. You know, what? How come he did that? Oh, man, you know. You know, uh, you know, anyway, so he goes through all this kind of stuff. Um, and, and so here's what happens. Abimelech calls Abraham over and he, he's a little frustrated. Okay. And here's what he says. Abimelech said to Abraham, what was your reason for doing this? Now, before we get all over Abraham, this question is excellent. This is an excellent, excellent question to ask yourself before you send that text. To ask yourself before you're about ready to talk to your teacher, talk to your boss, talk to your spouse, talk to your neighbor, right? What, what, what is your reason for doing this? Well, why do you feel the need to have to lie? Why do you feel the need to have to bend the truth a little bit? Why do, why do you feel the need that the truth isn't appropriate here? See, this is the question we just blow by every day. Well, I don't want to make them feel bad. I don't want to go, oh, okay, all right. Let's keep asking again. So you didn't tell the truth because you didn't want them to feel bad. Okay, well, let's move on. Oh, wait a minute. You mean you didn't want to feel bad making them feel bad? That's, that's the real reason. See, as we begin to really question this, what is your reason for doing this? We get to a place where we can wrestle with God Almighty. Where we, we get to that place where we start to wrestle and we go, you know what, God, I'm, the reason I want to do this is because I'm fearful of what they're going to think, say, do, how they're going to react. I don't, it, I, I'm, I'm fearful. And God says, the truth is going to set you free from this. It's time to step out in faith. And so that's what he says to, to Abraham. And so before we get on Abraham, let's get on ourselves. Let, let me get on myself. Well, why, why did I feel the need to tell stories when I was growing up? Because I felt uh, alone. I felt isolated. I felt like if people knew me, who, for, uh, knew me for who I really was, that they'd reject me. And, I, and this is the way I, I just felt. Now, God wanted to meet me there, even in the fifth grade. God wants to meet you there, whether you're at school and, and, and you're around a bunch of peers and, 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 you, and, and they're making fun or whatever, and you want to tell a lie to try to ward that off. God wants to meet you right there in that place where you're in your cubicle and your boss asks you just a straightforward question. Did you do this or did you not do that? And you just want to go, you know, say whatever you can to get him or her out of your cubicle. God wants to meet you right there. But he's not going to meet you in your fantasy. He's not going to meet you while you take control. He's going to meet you as, you as you relinquish control. And so here's, here's, here's Abraham's answer. And it's so telling. And it tells So Abimelech said to Abraham, what was your reason for doing this? Or in our terms, dude. Okay, that's all that is. Just one Hebrew word, dude. Uh, Abraham 20, 11. Abraham replied, I said to myself, <laughs> I said to myself, therein lies the problem. 
As a matter of fact, I'll bet you could look, and I can this week, and I can look at the different areas when I either told not completely the whole truth or was tempted to lie or whatever, and I could go to this. I said to myself, I thought to myself, outward lies start with inward lies. I said to myself, boy, if I say it this way, it's not going to turn out for me. If I don't control this situation, it's going to get out of control. I said to myself, Man, if, I, if, I don't, if I do this, I'm going to get fired, and then I'm going to lose my home, and I'm going to, uh. I said to myself, if I, don't, if I tell people really what I did, they're going to reject me, and then I won't have any friends. I'm going to be all alone. I said to myself, if she finds out the truth, it's over, and there's no way I'm going to repair this. I said to myself, this is exactly where Abraham found himself. And I think this is exactly where we find ourselves every single day of the week. These crossroads between fear and faith. Right there, I said to myself. So he goes on, he says, I said to myself, a couple of lies. There, sure, uh, there is surely no fear of God in this place. Okay, well, maybe not, but what's real, what is he really saying? He's saying, where they don't fear God, God is not in control. That the only place God could possibly be in control is with the people who fear him. And the fact that they're in control, that, then that's too much. And so, I, I, surely there's no fear of God in this place, and they'll kill me because of my wife. And Abimelech could have just said, dude, God speaks to you, right? Yeah, he speaks to you. Well, he spoke to me too. Last night, I didn't get any sleep after 12.32 in the morning, okay? I just laid there with my eyes open. God can control no matter who's in control. And, and, and so Abraham had these lies. that Unless God like showed himself in, in, in the government, he can't be in control of this. Unless God shows himself as in control of my company, then, then this is going to turn out. Unless God shows him control here, you know, I've got to manipulate. I've got to do all this stuff. Because if God's not showing himself in control, then he's not in control. And it's a lie. And so we say these things to ourselves. And then he goes on. He says, besides, she really is my sister. Like, oh, like that, that gets even worse. And he goes on to explain. He's like, the daughter of my father, not of my mother. And she became my wife. And you can just see Abimelech going, dude, can you just stop? Okay, just stop. All right, you lied about her. I almost died. Get out of here. And that's what he says to her. He's, he's, when, he, when he's done talking, he has a few more things to say. He says, uh, you know, just here. My land's out there. Pick any place you want and go live there. Just get out of here. Abraham continues, when God had me wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he's my brother. Now, some of us find ourselves in this position. Your boss is saying, this is how you can show your love to the company. Every month, we've got to fill out these forms with certain numbers. And our bonuses are based on those numbers. And so yeah, I want you to put in a number because I got to get my son the G.I. Joe with the Kung Fu grip. And I can't unless you get your numbers look like this. And so now you're like Abraham, you're like Sarah. Or maybe it is your spouse going, look, if so-and-so calls, <laughs> do me a favor and tell them that you know, I broke my leg in five places and that's why I couldn't get there. And you got to figure out, am I going to lie? What happens if I, 
You might be with a group of friends and one friend calls you up and says, hey, if my dad calls, tell him I was over at your house last night. Click. You know. We had someone close to us. Uh, He was at school and um, his junior high and a friend of his said, here, hold this bag. Hide it in your backpack. And so the kid held the bag and he got called in the principal's office. Hey, you have a bag? No, I don't have a bag. You have a bag? No. Uh, uh. What's this? Is a bag? <laughs> it wasn't even his. Got expelled from school. Right? Instead of just going, ah, oh, no, I don't want it. That, that's the faith and fear part. They're real times. This isn't just fake church. There's real times. Tomorrow, you're going to be sitting at the crossroads between faith and fear. And someone's going to ask you a question or ask if you want to go to that uh, uh, what do you call it? Wedding shower, bridal shower. And you're like, Ugh. you're like, you know what? I'm sorry. I've got Ebola. Um, and <laughs> I, I just, man, it just came right on. And so I'm heading over to, uh, you know, CDC or whatever. I mean, it's like, it's like, you're going to be tempted because there you are. Well, if I say the truth and this is going to happen, I, 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 and that's where he found himself. Here's what Job found himself in this place. As a matter of fact, his friends were going, just curse God and die. Like, just, just, just take the shortcut. Like, get, be done with it. And Job says this. I, I love this part. And, and this might be where you want to, maybe you want to memorize this. It says, though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. And maybe that's what you say at, at, the, at the crossroads between faith and fear. And you just go, you know what? Even though this kills me, I'm going to choose faith. And watch what he says. I will surely defend my ways to his face. Now, he, now, now, again, when we say to his face, we think in terms of, that's right, God, come down here. And I, No, what he's saying is, if I have a problem with God, I'm going to talk to God about it. And so that's where we find ourselves, in this spot where we go, God, this is lame. I need a job. And I have to have a certain amount of education. And I, I you know, I, I, or I, if they said one more, if I'm late one more time, I've got to say that, you know, I was giving mouth to mouth to a puppy. I've, I've got to do something to make it so it's not this bad, you know, it's whatever. And, 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 but to be at that spot where you go, you know what? I don't care what the consequences are. You got it. So Jesus talks about this thing. And here's what he says in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, Don't worry about the brood of vipers one. We're going to skip over that for a second. He says this again. You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you've made. That comes from Numbers 31 through 2 uh, is kind of one of it doesn't say it exactly like that but that's the concept and it's a good concept and and just like all the other things Jesus said you know do not commit adultery do not murder he's kind of saying look down at this level the kingdom of the earth that's kind of as far as we go in other words we would say you wouldn't lie you know to your spouse you wouldn't lie to uh, the IRS you know those are big lies you wouldn't lie to the cops you know all that kind of stuff those are big big ones. And so that's what Jesus does. And that's what we'll see. He starts off with kind of the big one. You've heard it said, don't break your oath, but fulfill uh, to the Lord the vows you've made. But I tell you, and here he goes, he wants to go right to the heart of the matter. He wants to go right to your fear. 
He wants to go right down into why you would tell a lie, why you would go through this. And so he says, don't swear an oath at all. Here, let me put it this way. Don't try to manage the situation on your own. Okay? Don't try to manipulate things. Don't try to deceive. Don't try to manage it. Don't, don't make any, don't swear an oath at all. Don't say, I, I swear to you, I will get, just don't do that. And then he goes and he, he gives this big kingdom concept. He says this, either by heaven, for it is God's throne. And so they, I swear by heaven. Don't do that. That's God's throne. It, it, now you're, you're trying to bring his kingdom stuff into your kingdom stuff. Don't do that. Or by earth, well, then fine, the earth. No, 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 no. That's his footstool. He's all about that too. So don't, don't do that. Well, okay, no, not the whole, okay, how about Jerusalem? He goes, no, 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 no. That's, that's the city of the great king. And what Jesus is doing is he's giving this idea, like you can, we can keep going all day long if you'd like. As a matter of fact, he goes all the way to the very end and he says this, and do not swear by your head. Like, okay, well, at least my head is mine. No, no, you can't even make one hair white or black, Okay which is unfortunate for a lot of us. <clears throat> and we can't make it grow either. You know, I've tried. Okay, it's gone. Yeah. This is kind of his point. Just look in the mirror. You're not in control. Okay, that's kind of where Jesus is coming, coming from here. And he says this. Just yes or no. Just yes or no. Now look. I understand that in life, new, there are different nuances. And so we can't just, you know, how the Bible says to speak the truth in love, okay? So there's some ways where we just, we, you know, but the truth is the truth is the truth. And Jesus says to the, yes or no, that's it. And then he makes this statement, which is so incredible. He says, anything beyond that, comes from the evil one. And, and, and this word evil one is confusing. Um, I didn't think NIV did a good job in translating this, but in talking to Pastor Bob, who's way smarter than me and all this kind of stuff, it's very ambiguous. Oftentimes this word for evil one is just translated evil, and, and they'll use it for this evil person or these evil times. Or it's, just, it's just the word to, um, it's broken. Is broken. It's messed up. Anything outside of just yes or no, when you begin, when I begin to try to manipulate a situation, it is broken. And we're just wasting our time. 